Thanks for taking some time to listen to this message on the Elevate Church podcast. We believe that God will speak to you wherever you are. Now, let's prepare our hearts and hear what God has for us today. It was back in the late 1980s. Come on, somebody. That's the decade. Any things of the 80s? There was a guy named uh, Tony Campolo, Dr. Tony Campolo, who was a sociologist, uh, sociology professor slash pastor preacher. He kind of did some moonlighting as a, a preacher. And he was invited to go to Honolulu, Hawaii, to preach. I don't know, suffering for Jesus in Hawaii. So here's this guy. He's going, to, I, I've been invited to preach before in Titusville. So there, what's up? Um, but he went to Hawaii and he's from Philadelphia and he went to Hawaii. So there's about a six hour time difference. And so when he was there, he got up at like 3.30 in the morning because it felt like 9.30 a.m. to him. And so he was hungry. He's wanting to go out and get some breakfast. So he says he went out onto the streets of Honolulu at 3.30 in the morning. And he said, using my language, it was sketchy. It, it was janky, right? It was, it was a little bit, you know, kind of troubling. And it just kind of saw some, some interesting, you know, people out at 3.30 in the morning. But he found one place that was open there was a diner that was serving donuts. And so he stopped into this diner to get a donut and a cup of coffee at 3.30 in the morning in Honolulu. And he met the guy behind the counter, ended up, his name was Harry. He owned the establishment. And so they were chatting a little bit and he sat down with his coffee and his, his donut. In fact, that he's a donut lover is just another reason why I love Tony Campolo because he's, you know, a man after my own heart. And so he's eating this donut and he said in his language, uh, at like 3.30 in the morning, a boisterous group of women walk in. He said about nine or ten of them. And they were just being loud and obnoxious and talking crude, like crazy crude, like saying things that they really, you know, he hasn't even heard before, talking about all the tricks they had turned that night. So they were prostitutes. A bunch of prostitutes came in and he said he was about to leave you know, because it was so obnoxious. But then he heard a conversation between one of the, the prostitutes and her uh, co-worker. I guess you call it a co-worker, whatever you're going to call it. And she said, you know, tomorrow's my birthday. I turn 29 tomorrow. And the other lady looks at her and says, so what? Like, big deal. What do you want us to throw you a birthday party? Do you want us to, to bake you a cake? Do you want us to, to sing happy birthday to you? And, and he said that her demeanor went from talking tough and nasty to all of a sudden sad. And she said, no, no, I don't want that from you. No one's ever done that for me before. No one's ever sang happy birthday. No one's ever given me a cake before. And my, I don't want that from you. And she said it kind of just, just changed the whole atmosphere. Eventually the ladies left and Dr. Campolo got an idea. And he goes up to Harry and he says, hey, Harry, do those ladies come in here often? He says, every night, like clockwork, right around 3, 3.30 or so, they're, they're coming in here. He said, well, do you know that lady who said, you know, he kind of described her and he said, yeah, that's Agnes. He said, well, it's Agnes's birthday tomorrow. What do you say we throw Agnes a birthday party? And Harry's like, that, that's a great idea. Let's do it. And so Tony Campolo's like, all right, well, today I'm going to get some streamers. I'm going to get some balloons. I'm going to get some, some giant poster, you know, board. And we're going we're gonna to write happy birthday, Agnes, on it. And I'll get a cake. And Harry's like, that all sounds great except for the cake. I'm the chef. I'm bringing the cake. He's like, deal, deal. And so he comes back the next day and they decorate the whole diner with streamers and balloons and cards. And, and they had this, this massive birthday cake for Agnes. And word got out 
because apparently Harry's wife, who also worked at the diner, knows all the ladies of the night. And so she's telling them that we're going to have this surprise party for Agnes. And so it was packed. He says, wall to wall with prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. He's throwing this birthday party. And Agnes comes in and sees all these, these signs and balloons and streamers. And she's just, she's speechless. She's blown away. She's blown away. They start singing happy birthday to her. And as you can imagine, never experiencing a birthday party, never having a cake, never having happy birthday sung to you, she starts tearing up. And tears just start streaming down her face. And she's just kind of staring at the cake. And, 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 and uh, Harry's like, you know, breaks the silence. He's like, hey, hey, do, do, you, want, do you want us to, to cut the cake? And she said, wait, wait, can I just look at it a little longer? And he said, yeah, of course, Agnes, you can do whatever you want with it. It's your cake. You can you take it home. And she's like, can I really? She's like, I just, I live around the corner. There's some people that I have to show this to. And he said, yeah, go ahead. She's like, I promise I'll be right back. I want to celebrate with you guys. And so she takes the cake and she leaves. And Tony Campolo says, that's the last he ever saw of her, that she never came back. So there's this room full of, uh, of prostitutes waiting for Agnes to come back with a birthday cake. And he says, finally, he just kind of breaks the, the awkwardness and, and says, hey, why don't we all pray for Agnes? And they're like, you know, whatever. And so he starts praying for Agnes, starts praying for, for her soul, starts praying, you know, that she would get out of the occupation that all these other ladies are in. He's just like praying for her, you know, and they just kind of you know, finally he kind of fizzles off and everybody goes home. And when they leave, Harry says, hey, you didn't tell me you were a preacher. What kind of church do you go to anyway? And he said it was like the Holy Spirit spoke to him in that instant. And he said, I go to the kind of church that throws birthday parties for hookers at 3.30 in the morning. Come on, somebody. And Harry said, no, you don't. There's no church like that. He said, because if there was a church like that, I would go. And Tony Campolo writes, he writes, but that's exactly the kind of church that Jesus came to establish. Like, when did we forget? When did it become so prim and proper? And I just need to let you in on a few things. If you're visiting here for the first time or the second time, you're checking this place out. There's a couple of things that you need to know about this church. One is this, we're not perfect. We are works in progress. Anybody else a work in progress today? We're works in progress. None of us have arrived. We're not part of the spiritual elite. Like we are works in progress. And here's the second thing is this, the church, we exist to be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. That's why we're here. In fact, the church in its current state, the kingdom of God, is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. Now, one day when Jesus comes back, there will be, you know, we'll all be healed and healthy and whole. There will be no more need for that. But right now, in its current form, we exist to be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. Now, some of you might go, Colby, that sounds like a great idea. That's a nice, neat phrase. Where do you get that idea from God's word? This is what Matthew chapter nine tells us. If you read it with me in verse nine, it says this passing along. Jesus saw a man at his work collecting taxes. Now that's a big deal. We're going to come to that. His name was Matthew. And Jesus said, come along with me. And Matthew stood up 
and followed him. Now, here's what's so interesting about this. And for those of you that are are new to church, perhaps, let me give you a historical backdrop so that we can really comprehend the power of what's happening in this moment. Matthew was a Jewish man who was a tax collector from the Jews on behalf of Rome. Rome was the the nation that had come in and started oppressing everyone. They were ruling uh, Jerusalem and and ruling the Jews. And so Matthew was a Jewish person, his friends and family, all of them were Jewish people, and they were being oppressed by Rome. And Matthew literally had to apply for the rights to collect taxes from his own people. And he did it in order to make a buck because the way he made money was to, to collect more taxes than Rome required. And so he would kind of skim a little off the top, right? And that's how he made his money. So tax collectors were those who were traitors, according to the Jewish people. They betrayed their own kind. They were some of the wealthiest people, and they were by far the most hated people during this day. So when a rabbi named Jesus, who we now know as the Messiah, who's perfect and sinless, he was God in flesh, shows up on the scene of all the people you think he would avoid, it would be a scoundrel like Matthew, right? That's why it's over and over in the gospel when we read about who Jesus spent time with, it talks about he spent time with the sinners and the tax collectors. Like they got their own category. That's how bad they were. And so that's what we need to understand. This is Matthew. And in one passing moment, amazing moment, Jesus looks at him and how powerful, by the way, does someone have to be in their presence to simply pass by someone and say, Hey, come follow me. Think about it. Who everyone else in this culture calls a traitor, a scoundrel, an outcast. He simply says, come and follow me. Right. And then Matthew does what so many of us have wanted to do at our work before, and maybe have done before you just up and leave, right? You're like deuces. I'm out of here. Anybody done that on the job? Yeah, I have twice. Once in 1992, when I went in for orientation at McDonald's, don't hate. And they popped in a a VHS tape. Anybody remember VHS tapes? Yeah, yeah. It was a combo unit, TV, VHS, all together. They popped in a VHS tape for like OSHA and orientation. I'm like, I'm out of here. This is terrible. And then also as a vet tech, you know, one time. But Matthew, in this moment, something liberated him something so ignited in his heart that when Jesus said come and follow me he just ups and leaves isn't that amazing his 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 job to follow Jesus and I love this because all the religious people we're going to read it in a second who are watching Jesus they were making their judgments about Jesus from a distance they would have literally lost their mind when they saw this saying like Jesus you can't hang out with him You cannot hang out with a tax collector. In fact, legally, as a rabbi, you are not allowed to. It will make you ceremonially unclean if you hang out with this this guy. We don't hang out with those types of thugs and punks and crooks. Like, Matthew, why would you, Jesus? Why would you, like, uh, betray, like, a, a holy person in our nation with our bloodline? Why would you endorse this man and say, come and follow me? And here's why. And you cannot miss this. Don't, don't miss this for one second, especially if you come in here with Jesus baggage, you know what I'm talking about? Or church baggage. 
because of the way that you were raised or, or maybe because maybe you don't, you have these misconceptions about who God is and, and what God is all, all about. The reason that Jesus could so easily look at Matthew and go, Hey man, come and follow me is because God has the ability to do something that we are terrible at doing. You know what it is? God is deeply interested in people's backstory while we are deeply interested in people's behavior. Come on, is that not true? Hey, can we have an honest moment in church today? Don't we? Aren't we so interested in people's behavior, judging them by what they've done now, in, in our own behavior? Like we judge ourselves. It's the world's uh, value system of assigning work to somebody is to judge you based on what you have, have done. But God has this capacity for this word that we don't, we don't get and we can't quite comprehend all the time. And the word is empathy. God is a God of empathy. He has a capacity for empathy that we can't even begin to understand. Meaning God knows Matthew has a backstory. God knows that, that Agnes has a backstory. What do you mean, Colby? Here's what I mean. God knows that Matthew didn't, as a little boy growing up, going out with his friends and, and hanging out after school or playing with his family, it wasn't the dream of his heart to one day grow up and extort money from his own people and be a traitor and an outcast. He has a backstory. Are you with me? He knows that Agnes didn't grow up as a little girl in Hawaii, like dreaming of the day that she would sell her body to men to be abused so she could make a living. She has a backstory. And God is deeply interested in our, our backstory. And we don't know Agnes's backstory. We don't know Matthew's backstory, but you know who does? God, Jesus is always the answer in church. In fact, 99.9% .9 of the time, if you just say God or Jesus, you're going to be right. Yeah, he knows your backstory. He knows everything that's happened to you. And, and however, Matthew arrived at this moment, like maybe Matthew bought into the lie that in order to, to, have everything that the world says you have to have to be happy in order to, to make a buck. You have to hurt people on your way to the top that you have to betray people. Agnes, however, she got to that place. However, she arrived there. She bought into the lie that in order to feel value or loved, she had to sell her precious body. Or I don't know, maybe it was the first time somebody, you know, in order to feel loved and worth from somebody, she had to give her, her purity away. I don't know. There's a, a backstory. And while we don't get to see how someone arrived where they are, God is completely invested and interested in your backstory, not just your behavior. Because what Jesus knows is what we so often forget. And that is if someone will just follow him long enough, then he will get to the brokenness where the backstory begins. If he will just follow him long enough, if Matthew will just follow him long enough, he'll get to the wounds and the hurt to where the backstory began. And anytime he gets there to where your wounds are and your hurts are and the brokenness is, you know what happens? It leads to wholeness and healing and restoration. In a word, come on somebody, freedom, freedom. That's where it starts. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And so while all the religious people are watching this freaking out, that Jesus would ask a thug and a punk like Matthew to follow him. Here's what Jesus knows. If Matthew will just sit with me for a while, if Matthew will, will walk with me for a season, then eventually he's going to write a historical account 
of me that a few billion people are going to read for the next, you know, few thousand years. Because he knows and is committed to our backstory. And he's committed to your backstory. Like some of you walk in here today with a backstory that has evolved into so many dysfunctional behaviors in your life. Some of you are like, Kobe, I don't even know where to start. The destructive decisions that I've made, I don't even know where to, to begin. Maybe all dignity has been stripped away from you because of decisions that you've made or because of decisions others have made that have impacted you that have abused you. And that's why with Jesus, with such effortlessness and calm, he knows the details of your life. He knows the backstory of your, your life like no one else can. And so that's why he can meet you in the middle of wherever you are, of whatever mess that you are in. And so easily and effortlessly say, hey, 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 I know, I know why you did that. Hey, I, I'm not happy that you committed adultery with someone, but I know what was broken inside of you that led to that, that frame of mind, that, that, that thought pattern that you had that ultimately led to that act. I know what happened. I, I, I'm not happy that you're angry all the time. I'm not happy that you're, you're out there shooting up. I'm not happy that you're addicted to this or that, but I know what's broken inside of you that led to you having that mindset that ultimately led to that act. That's why he so effortlessly and calmly can just come into your life and say, well, while all the world is going to judge you because yeah, they're going to offer you some consequences for all those, those behaviors. I don't want to start by offering you consequences. I want to start by offering you hope and healing and restoration. So he says, Matthew, man, come follow me. And I just got to believe God's saying the same to some of you today. No matter what you've done, no matter what you're doing, come follow me. Look at what they, they do later that night in verse 10. It says, later, when Jesus was eating supper at the fraud's house, right, which this is a rabbinical no-no. This is as unorthodox as it gets, but that's the God we serve. And that's the God that we preach here. Later, when Jesus was eating at Matthew's house with his close followers, a lot of disreputable characters came and join them. Come on, don't you love Jesus? He's like, just bring them all. You know who was hanging out with tax collectors? Other tax collectors, right? That's who, Matthew, that's who his friends were. He's like, just bring them all over. In fact, Matthew throws a party and invites them. And it says, when the Pharisees, now this is the religious people. These are the guys that, that are professional at behaving good. You know anyone like that? Don't poke them, don't elbow them. When they saw them keeping this kind of company, they had a fit, the religious people. And they didn't lie into Jesus, right? You know who they lit into because they're cowards? So they lit into Jesus's followers. They didn't have the guts to, to look Jesus in the face because they'd had already lost enough battles confronting Jesus. So they lit into Jesus's followers and they said, what kind of example is this from your teacher acting cozy with crooks and riffraff. And I love this next part, verse 12. It says, Jesus overhearing them. He's not in the conversation, but he's overhearing them. You know why? Because he created hearing. He's the God of ears. All right. So he just knows. He knows. It says he overheard them. I, I like to think Jesus kind of kicked back at the table. Maybe they just finished up a few apps. They had some mozzarella sticks and some potato skins or whatever. And he says, Jesus overhearing them. He says, hey, dummies. 
who needs a doctor, the healthy or the sick? And they're like, "Uh uh-oh, he hurt us. And he said, the sick need a doctor. And he's like, yeah, yeah, that's right. And I'm the great physician. And I have what they need to be healed and whole. Because remember, we're in the business of healing people, not judging them, not, not hurting them. We're a hospital for, for sinners, not a museum for saints. He says, go and figure out what the scripture means when it says this, I'm after mercy, not religion. Wow. Can we just look at that again? I'm after mercy, not religion. That's what I desire. I don't desire rules and regs. I don't desire you to follow a list of, of do's or, or don'ts. That's not where it starts. I, I'm not after a system of religion. In fact, the highest form of, of, of righteousness, according to our creator, is not how well you behave. It's how well you receive. Did you know that? It's how well you receive this otherworldly gift known as mercy and grace. And it's free. And it's offered to each one of us. You know what mercy, mercy is? Mercy is not a get out of jail free card. Mercy is medicine. Mercy is what makes you whole. Mercy is what begins to, you know what grace is? Grace is not, you know, uh, just a little uh, a slap on, on the wrist, get you off the hook. Grace is what gets so deeply embedded into our soul that it begins to make you whole and healthy. I don't know about you, but I've been taking grace and mercy as my medicine for over 25 years now. And as jacked up as I am, I'm still becoming more whole and healthy every single year. As broken as I am, as messed up as I am, I'm still becoming more healed from my brokenness. Why? Because when God's grace intersected with Colby's backstory, the result was healing. When God's grace intersected my backstory, which back in the day, high school and college, making so many terrible decisions, destructive decisions to my life. But when his grace connected with my backstory, there's healing. And the same goes for you. And when God's grace and mercy connects with our backstory, the result is healing. But how quickly after we've been healed for a while and experienced this grace and mercy from God and maybe get a few spiritual notches on our, on our belt, you know, according to the church world, do we forget? Do we forget that the same mercy that got us there is the same mercy that we need every day to keep us there? The same grace that got us there. Are you with me? It's the same grace we need every single day. And how quickly we forget that there are others around us that are hurting, that they don't need judgment. They don't need condemnation. What they need is mercy and grace because mercy is medicine. It's medicine. You know what rules and regs are? It's a diagnostic. In medical terminology, it would be like, like an x-ray. That's what rules and regulations are. In fact, uh, every law God gave us is good. You need to know that. Every law he gave us is gracious and is good and is helpful for us to live life. Um, rules are always good from God. They're n- never there to hurt the party. They're always there to enhance the party, to make it better. Uh, boundaries that God gives you are never to you know, detract from your life. They're there to enhance our life. So that's my one balancing statement that I'll say. But the ultimate purpose of the law, the ultimate purpose of the Torah, right? The rules and regs that God gives us is not so that we would start acting better. The purpose was uh, for us to, to understand that apart from God, we're toast. Are you with me? 
Apart from God's mercy, apart from grace, we cannot do this on our own. So here's what the law is. The law is an x-ray and it's a picture. It's a diagnostic. We hold it up to our heart and we say, Hey, you know what? That, that fracture right there in your heart, that's a cancer that, that needs treatment in your life. You know, that, that, that thought pattern that's leading you down a destructive way, that, that's a tumor. And we gotta, we gotta pull that out of there. We have to eradicate that, that thing, that, that destructive pattern that you continue to be in over and over. We gotta get that out of there. The law is an x-ray revealing to us the condition of our heart and mercy is the medicine. There's no other treatment plan. Grace is the medicine. It's a free gift. There's no other treatment plan. You can't behave good enough. You can't, you can't jump through enough hoops. There's nothing you can do, come on somebody, to make God more proud of you than he is already. You know why? Because he created you. He formed you. You are his image bearer. He's already proud of you. He's already proud of you. He says, come on, Matthew, let's go. Follow me. I got what you you need. And that's why he can easily come into the middle of wherever you are. Like Matthew and Agnes and Colby and say, I, I'll get you healed and whole. And he goes on to say this. He finishes by saying, I'm here to invite outsiders, not to coddle insiders. I love that. That the ultimate purpose of this church is not for you to, to come long enough to be here to get what you think you deserve. The ultimate purpose of the church is for us to come together, to meet, to be encouraged, to, to have our faith ignited and inspired, and for us to have a place where we invite people and show them what mercy and grace looks like. Are you with me? That's the only thing that will ever heal somebody. Jesus tells a story that uh, perhaps many of you are familiar with. It's called the, the parable of the prodigal son, and this is where, actually where I'm going to start preaching. So are you guys ready? Here we go. You're like, What? Time is it? No, I'm just kidding. I'm getting close though. Here we are. Luke 15. And I love this story. And this is where we need to start when it comes to talking about freedom. It says this, there was a man and this man represents God. He's God, right? Jesus is telling this, this story, which is a made up story in order to prove a very real point. So he says, this man who, who is God, he's talking about what our unseen God, who is the spirit, what he looks like, what he acts like, the way he sees us, the way he deals with issues in our lives, the way he, he, he deals with our human rebellion. And so he says, this man had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. Now you would never say that to a father. In fact, when you said that to a father, in essence, what you were saying is, hey, I wish you were dead because you didn't get your inheritance before the father had passed. And so to a Jewish audience, I mean, they're already sitting back. Like you can't say that to a father. He says, give me my share of the estate. So he divided up the property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and he set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into the field to feed pigs. Now, let me stop right here because as Jesus is telling this story to this, this largely Jewish audience, 
right? When he said the son was out of money, when he said that the, the son wanted his inheritance, right? That was already a slap in the face to the father. But when he said he had to sell himself out to someone to feed pigs, that's as bad as it got in this culture. That's as low as you could go. That is as unkosher of a job that a, a Jewish person could have. To, to come out of, to get redeemed back from being a pig farmer. And so Jesus is pulling out all the stops for the story. That's what you need to know. He's making it as intense as he possibly can so that when he, he shares how the father responds, the Jewish audience goes, no way. There's no way that can happen. There's no way a son can come back from saying, I wish you were dead. There's no way a son can come back from, from smelling like pigs. And Jesus is saying, no, you don't understand the heart of God. That anyone can come back from anything. Anyone can come back from smelling like anything. And this is the kind of, of, of response they're going to get. This is the kind of greeting they're going to get from the father. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, the son said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out and I'll work. I will go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up. He came to his, his senses. Some of you today, that's the step you need to take. You just need to come to your senses. Say, what am I doing? What am I doing here? He got up and went to his father. And now we, we have to listen to this because what he said next because this is Jesus showing a Jewish audience the heart of their God, the heart of Yahweh, and also showing it to us 2,000 years later. It says, while the rebel, the, the kid, this young punk who thought he could do it better than his dad, thought he could have a better life away from his, his father, while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. Here's the God of empathy again. Now stop right here because before we read the rest of this, if I'm the dad and my son said that stuff and my son took off, you know what I'm doing? I'm standing on the porch, arms crossed like this. Uh-huh, I see you, boy. Thought you could do better than your dear old dad, huh? I got some hard work for you out in the field. Come on, come on with yourself and I'm gonna put you out in the field. And Jesus says, no, no, no. That's not the heart of the father. That's not God's response to human rebellion. Again, we're the ones that get so caught up in behavior. He says that's not his, his response to this. Here's God's response. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him. You ready for this? Because some of you, this is you. This is you. You're that rebel. You're that one. You'd say, I'm that rebel. I'm that one that's gone far away. Here's God's heart for you, filled with compassion, not condemnation. Filled with compassion, he ran to his son. He throws his arms around him and he kisses him. Now this is, this is also a little scandalous in Jewish culture. And here's why, in that culture, you didn't run. Men didn't run. In fact, the older you got, the less you ran. Anybody else? That's my story right now, the less I'm running. And the reason why he didn't run is because both men and women alike all wore robes and they weren't into showing leg back then. I know we are today, but they weren't into doing all that. And so in order to run, you'd have to pick up your robe, you know, in order to, to run. And so for a man to run, especially a man who owned an estate, 
This would be one of the most undignified things that he could, he could do. He says, yet for the father, it's not even a question. It's not even an option what he's going to do in this moment. While this rebel was still a, a long way off, he pulls up his robe. He sprints to his son. He throws his arms around and gives him a hug and a kiss. Listen, I don't know what kind of bill of goods you've been sold about Jesus or God or the idea that you have about him, but anything that's different from the fact that God would go to great lengths to, he would become even undignified in order to restore dignity back to you. Anything you've heard different than that is just not true. That this is the gospel. The God who created the heavens and the earth, who holds the stars in his hands, the God who, who's, who, who told the oceans where to stop and where to start is the same God that will choose to become as undignified as he has to to restore dignity back to his kids. How good is that? That's the God that we serve. This is the gospel. Kobe, why would he, he do that? One, one reason and one alone. He loves you passionately, unconditionally, and he loves you. That's it, nothing more. In fact, if you're still not convinced that he would go to those kinds of, of, of lengths, look no further than the cross. Talk about a perfect, sinless human being becoming undignified, going to the cross, getting whipped, beaten, mocked, spit on, crown of thorns, jammed into his head, nine inch nails driven through his hands and through his feet. And the Bible says he, like a lamb before the slaughter, went silently, was undignified. Why, Colby? So you and I could, could, could come back to the Father. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, he who knew no sin, talking about Jesus, became sin for you and me, that we could become the righteousness of God so that we could be welcomed back and wanted back into the house of the Father, even when we least deserved it, even when we were least worthy of it. On our worst day, during your worst season of rebellion, Jesus became sin so that we could be restored back to the Father. That's the gospel. And that's how awesome Jesus is. And so on the, the worst day, of this young man's life, he's coming home, he's doing the walk of shame, and this is where I'll, I'll, I'll begin to shut it down, I'll have the band come help me out. Here's the father's final response to him. I don't want you to miss this, because the son's trying to get out his apology. The son's trying to tell him how, how, how much he's screwed up. He's rehearsed it over and over in his mind. He says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And all of that's true, by the way. But the father said to his servants, see, I love that. It's like he didn't even hear the son begin to apologize. Can I tell some of you, as you're coming home to the father, God does not need to hear your rap sheet. He already knows your rap sheet. And he knows what you've done. He knows your behaviors. He knows the intimate details of your life. He knows everything about you. Don't let that be a barrier to coming home to the Father. He, he already knows because the Father's response here is like, I, I get it all. I get it all. It's like he doesn't even hear him. He just says, quick, bring the best robe. Not just a robe. Bring the best robe. My son's lost his dignity. He's coming home naked and dirty and my son doesn't come home naked and dirty. 
What's the best thing we got that we can cover him with? The New Testament says that in Christ, we've been given a robe of righteousness. Some of you, you are one faith-filled sentiment away from God covering you with his robe of righteousness. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how ashamed that you feel. It doesn't matter what your rap sheet is. God wants to wrap his arms around you, put his robe of righteousness on you so you can walk into the party whole and healthy and healed so that you can have your head held high. Doesn't matter what condition you're coming home. And he says, put a, put a robe on him, not just a robe, the best robe. And then he says this, put a, put a ring on his finger. You know what the, the ring was a symbol of back in this day? This was the family crest. This was saying, this, this is my, my family. So in essence, he's saying, hey, hey, I choose, I choose you. So the boy could walk into the house, into the party with everyone else looking at him, judging his behavior, saying, hey, you left. You went away while we all stayed and we all worked, worked hard. And he's like, you know, I, I, I get all that. You guys stayed, but, but he chose to put his ring on me. He chose to call me his. God chose to call you his. He wants to restore dignity back to you. And then he says, put, put sandals on, a, on his feet. Again, this is just, this is bringing dignity back to the son who had lost all dignity. Get him some sandals. Then he says this, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Come on, somebody, steak. Tenderloin. Bring the wine. Let's go. Right? And that's not what he deserved. Because in our eyes, in our world's value system, what he deserved was, was a, you know, a kale salad and some LaCroix. And, and that's, you know, that's what he should have gotten, right? Come on, stop it. You don't, LaCroix doesn't even taste good. Stop being a water snob, all right? It's disgusting. You know it's not good, right? I drink LaCroix. How many of you are grateful that God doesn't give us what we deserve? And that's what keeps us from God sometimes. We think this is what we deserve when God's just, he's just ready to receive us back into the house. He's just ready to restore dignity back to you no matter what you've done. Bring the fattened calf, let's kill it. And he says, let's just party. Let's have a feast, let's celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and he's alive. And that's what I'm believing for, for somebody in this room or watching online. You could be spiritually dead. And God wants to make you spiritually alive. He was lost and he's found. And they began to celebrate. This is why with everything in me, when we start talking about a series on freedom, it has to start this way. It has to start here. It has to start with the grace and the mercy and receiving this intellectually offensive, radical love that God has for us. Because I, as I read this, I'm like, is this even possible? Is this even possible God could love us this way? Have you ever felt that? I've felt that so many times. God, even with what I've done, you could love me this way? This is where freedom starts. And so before I lead us in a prayer and an opportunity to receive this free gift of grace that you couldn't work for, you couldn't earn, 
The band's going to lead us in a song. And I chose this song because this is the song that I believe God would write to you. If there ever was a song, that this is a song that, in fact, here's what I want us to do. For those of you that are are followers of Jesus, or or maybe today is the day, you're going to cross that line of faith and you're going to decide, man, I'm running home to the Father. I'm going to make that decision. Here's what I want you to do. Let's stay seated. And when you hear a line in this song that resonates with your story, where you'd say, that's me, that's me. Would you stand up then? And would you just start to worship God? Because here's what I just want everybody to see. All the ways that God connects with people. All the avenues through which we we come to him. All the pain, all the hurt, all the brokenness that we bring. Would you do that? Would you just stay seated? And when you hear a line in this song that you'd say, "That's, that's who I am. And that's what God did for me. Then would you stand and start to worship? Let's do that. This song is called Reckless Love. Serve it, but still you give me your service. 
shadow you won't light up Mountain you won't climb up Coming after me There's no wall you won't kick down Lie you won't tear down Coming after me There's no shadow you won't light up Mountain you won't climb up Coming after me there's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. Oh, there's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb on, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. Thanks for checking out this week's message on the Elevate Church podcast, and we hope you really enjoyed it. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. Welcome to the family. We would love to know about it, so please let us know by going to elevatechurch.com yes. There'll be some practical resources that will help you as you start this journey. If you want to support the mission and vision of Elevate Church to help people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, go to elevatechurch.com give. We'll see you soon. Have a great week.